Hello everyone and welcome to Med Talk. Today we're going to go through ocular trauma and with me I have Dr. Azavi, who is the head of ophthalmology teaching here at UWA. Dr. Azavi, thank you for joining me. Yep, thanks very much Depesh, good to be back. So ocular trauma is quite an anxiety inducing presentation for medical students and from what I hear medical uh, residents as well. Mm -hmm. um, what is your thought process when you see um, eye trauma walk in through the ED doors? Yeah, so the first thing to say is that um, ocular trauma is common. So if you work in ED, you're going to see it. If you work in ophthalmology, you see it almost every day, if not every day. Um, so it's very common. The approach, you know, I would love to have a sexy framework, but I go back again to Talia and O'Connor when they say 80% of the diagnosis is in the history. If I know that I'm seeing a tradie who's been grinding and now he's got a painful eye, it's almost guaranteed that some metal has flicked off from the grinder and he's now got a little bit of metal foreign body on his cornea. So start with the history. Um, I should actually take a step back because tied in with the history is the first consideration, which is always, is there a threat to life here? So the first thing to determine is, is this a, an airway or ABC situation? Car accident, for example, uh, happens all the time. Car accident, facial injury, the eyes involved. Once uh, the patient's been stabilized, then you can focus on the eye. As far as the eye itself, I would think of it in terms of penetrating versus non-penetrating injury. So penetrating meaning the wall of the eyeball itself has actually been breached. Um, and then non-penetrating injury, meaning the surface of the eye and the eyelids uh, around the eyeball. The, and then the second way to think about it is whether it's surgical or non-surgical. So if it's a penetrating injury, that's obviously surgical. That person's going to need to go to theatre, so you need to prep them as such. Non-penetrating injury can be surgical or non-surgical. So for example, an eyelid laceration, the globe is intact, but the eyelids needed surgery. So to sort of recap that long explanation, start with threats to life, ABC, Dr. ABC, and then think about penetrating versus non-penetrating, surgical versus non-surgical. Great, that's, that's a really useful outline of your thought process there. So now we'll launch into our case history. Mm -hmm. So the case is, it is late on a Saturday night in ED and a patient, let's call him Mr. Adams, is brought in after a bar fight. Mm -hmm. He has an obvious injury to his right eye and he's also reporting some pain and discomfort um, in his right eye and left arm as well. So hearing this brief presentation, what more do you want to find out on history of, of the presenting complaint and what are your developing sort of differential lists? Yeah, so the first thing, I want to rule out in my head uh, is that he's got an intracranial injury. Uh, someone's been in a bar fight, you've got no idea what kind of head trauma they've suffered. So you want to know details of the incident, the alleged assault, which is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. There may be police involved, so you have to be mindful of that in an ED scenario. Um, you want to know what he was struck with, where he was struck, was there a weapon uh, or was it a fist? Um, 
And then obviously you want to know some his, his medical background as well, fasting status, if there were foreign bodies involved, his tetanus status. And I want to know about the left arm um, because it might be that that needs more urgent attention. That's yet to be determined. That's my overall approach. Uh, and then as far as the differential list, it's very, very broad. Ocular trauma can go from incidental, meaning almost no impact on the eye, to loss of the eyeball. So, uh, but the things to rule out quickly are ruptured globe um, and a retrobulbar hemorrhage. Retrobulbar hemorrhage needs immediate uh, treatment mm. or a person's gonna go blind in hours. Yeah. Um, and, and a globe rupture needs to go to theater, obviously. Okay, so on further history, um, Mr. Adams tells us that there was no actual assault to the right eye directly. Mm -hmm. Instead, he sustained a punch to the left arm. He lost some, uh, lost his balance and had a mechanical fall. Okay, okay. So how does, does this change anything? Uh, look, it reduces, it, it doesn't eliminate, but it reduces the risk of a sharp penetrating injury, which you might get in a glassing incident mm -hmm. in a bar fight. Which, you, which happens every now and then. It doesn't eliminate it because people can fall onto a sharp edge. So the sharp edge of a cabinet, usually this is older ladies waking up, postural hypertension, losing balance, hitting the bedside cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, so mechanical fall onto the side of his face, that's most likely to be blunt trauma. So then I'm worried about an orbital fracture. And the most common site for an orbital fracture is the orbital floor. Mm -hmm the trap door of the eye socket, mm -hmm. which tends to fracture downwards. Sure. So that's the most, he's gonna need some imaging. He's mm -hmm. gonna need some neuroimaging and in ED that's gonna mean a CT head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, um, so a student has uh, done a physical examination uh, on him. Mm -hmm. So he finds that there is some visible ecchymiosis and swelling in the right eye. Mm -hmm. uh, he also seems to have sustained some minor bruising to his left arm as well. Mm -hmm. His visual acuity in the right eye is 6 <coughs> on 30, but in the left eye, it's 6 on 6. Mm -hmm. So his pupils are round, but unequal in diameter. And you do not see any uveal prolapse, but you do notice that there is some mild proptosis of the right eye. Mm -hmm. And on examining extraocular movements, you notice that they are quite limited, especially on upward gaze in the right eye. And his intraocular pressure in the right eye is measured as 50. Okay. So hearing these physical examination findings, yes. um, does it point you to any particular diagnosis? This is a really good description of a retrobulbar hemorrhage and it's bad news for <laughs> this patient potentially in that they're going to need immediate management. If, if this young man has sustained a hard enough injury to give him a retrobulbar hemorrhage, you still need to be thinking about an intracranial hemorrhage. So a sub subdural or a subarachnoid. So he needs to have his, he will have had his GCS assessed presumably by now. Mm -hmm. You want a full set of OBS. You want to make sure he's coherent. Uh, he's still going to need neuroimaging, but I would not delay his management, which I assume we're going to get into soon. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't delay his management in order to get neuroimaging. I would just get on with it. The pertinent points for a medical student to pick up, first of all, vision 6.30. So that's a, a decent drop in vision. Uh, and you want to make sure that's not pre-existing, that that's new. So you say, did you previously have the same vision in the right eye roughly? 
as you have in the same eye? Yeah. If yes, we've got a problem on our hands. Mm-hmm. Pupils are unequal, so he's probably got what we call traumatic medriasis, which is a temporary dilation of the pupil uh, when it sustains blunt trauma. Um, it could be worse than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have iridodialysis, so a tear in the iris. He could have cyclodialysis, so a tear in the ciliary body. That all remains to be seen. But the most important thing is his extraocular movements are limited and his pressure is very, very high. And he's got the appearance of proptosis. So all those things to me say retrobulbar hemorrhage, which needs immediate management. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so we have um, gone through what ideally our investigations should Mm be. So we can jump to management at this point. So Mm -hmm. is there any sort of practical medical, procedural, surgical management that we can... Um, do for this patient? Yeah, so uh, he needs what we call a lateral canthotomy and cantholysis, uh, which means, essentially means making uh, two cuts at the lateral edge of the eyelids, so where the top and bottom eyelid meet at the lateral canthus, uh, that area needs to be cut um, laterally to go through the tendon. There's two tendons that you need to go through. There's a lateral one there, then there's an oblique one below it. So what you need here is a trolley, a dressing pack, uh, some antiseptic, povidone iodine or chlorhexidine. Um, I use local anesthetic. Not everyone does because they think it's quicker just to get on with it without local. I think it's kinder to use local if you've got a conscious patient. Sometimes you don't have a conscious patient. So less of an issue. Um, and then uh, essentially you clamp the lateral canthus uh, with a, like, an, like an artery forceps to push as much blood out as possible and flatten the tissue. And then you make a full thickness lateral cut with a pair of sharp straight scissors. Um, and th- having made the transverse cut, which is the most important one, and obviously you would need to be taught how to do this and shown but then you make an oblique cut inferiorly and you can actually feel for one of the supporting tendons which is more inferior and then you go through that one and if you go through those two you should visibly see the eye move forwards you should see the globe in a way relax forwards Mm. because the volume that it's sitting in the volume of the eye socket has now just been increased and the problem with a retrobulbar hemorrhage is essentially it's a compartment syndrome. So you've got a fixed volume, but the contents of that volume are increasing in, as far as the blood goes, putting pressure on the optic nerve and causing ischemia to the optic nerve head and the retina. And that's why people lose vision. So you need to increase the volume of the eye socket and lateral canthotomy cantholysis is how you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, after we've done that, uh what sort of further management are we looking at for this patient? Need to, uh, you need to have a look at the eye on a slit lamp, mm. if it's possible, to try and get a better sense of what other injuries they may have sustained. Um, and as I say, that can go anywhere. Think of the eye from front to back. That's always a good framework to approach things with. So you need to convince yourself that they, in fact, don't have a ruptured globe or a foreign body injury. Uh, cornea, anterior chamber, iris, lens, and then the posterior segment, all the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, once the lateral canthotomy has been done and you've had a look on the slit lamp, 
you then can think about a prompt neuroimaging mm -hmm. um, by way of a CT. And then your management of the eye beyond that really depends on what else they've got. Sure. So almost certainly he'll have some traumatic uveitis, so inflammation of the anterior segment just from getting hit really hard. Mm -hmm. That'll need topical steroid treatment. Uh, the rest of it will depend on what he's got. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been talking this whole time as an ophthalmologist. Mm -hmm. So, and, and forgetting to say that very early on in the piece, people listening to this podcast are not going to be ophthalmologists. They're going to be medical students and interns possibly. So hopefully it goes without saying that you pick up the phone and talk to the on-call ophthalmology registrar. Hey, I've got a retrobulbar hemorrhage. How far away are you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that needs to be flagged mm -hmm. right up the top. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Call for help. Always Call for help. Yes, Call yes. For, for specialist help. Mm -hmm. It might be, I mean, a lateral canthotomy is an ED skill. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't. it's not just an ophthalmologist that can or should be able to do it. Um, so still get the advice, but it might be that you end up doing the canthotomy with your registrar. And that's a very good skill to learn. Mm -hmm. So I definitely encourage you to, to try and learn that skill. Yeah. Okay, so at the, at the start of the episode, we were talking about penetrating versus non-penetrating injury. And in mm -hmm. this case, Mr. Adams seems to have had a non-penetrating yes. injury so far. Um, yes. Would there be any sort of features on history and exam that would make you suspicious of a globe rupture or penetrating injury? Yes, yeah. So there's a few things. So we'll start from the most basic, again, go back to the mechanism, find out if there was anything in the area where he landed mm -hmm. that his face struck. Usually patients will tell you yeah. if they're, uh, if they're uh, sort of coherent enough. Um, then the vision. So penetrating injury or globe rupture, there's a significant drop, drop in vision. 6.30 is low enough mm -hmm. that he could have a penetrating injury. Um, I actually saw a guy once who had a penetrating injury from a shark tooth. Wow. From a great white shark. He was an abalone fisherman and he was on the ocean floor and he got bitten on the head by a white pointer. Didn't kill him cut his face and his neck up one tooth punctured his eyeball and uh, so it punctured the limbus the corneal limbus the junction between the cornea and the sclera as a result his vision was I think about 612 uh, not that bad it was a very so, so shark tooth turns out is super sharp uh, a shark tooth is sharp <laughs> not to mumble the words and so he had a very, almost like a surgical incision and his vision was not that bad. So vision is not the be all and end all. You can have a penetrating injury with reasonable vision if a shark has bitten your face. <laughs> but in general terms, it's a good indicator. Beyond that, um, yeah, uveal prolapse, I think you mentioned early on. So mm -hmm. here you're looking for uh, a bit of iris colored tissue. So brown if the person's got brown eyes and blue, etc. Iris colour tissue in a part of the eye where you don't expect to see it. And usually, often it's at the corneal limbus or beyond that, um, underneath the conjunctiva or in the sclera. If it's under the conge and in the sclera, often it's associated with a subconch hemorrhage. So don't take a subconch hemorrhage in a trauma patient as being innocuous. Mm -hmm. Usually it will be, but it can hide a full thickness scleral lack. Mm. So subconch hemorrhage, 
uveal prolapse. When you get uveal prolapse, the iris, if you can imagine, is being pulled in that direction. It's a bit like an aeroplane that gets decompressed when a door gets opened, everything flies out mm -hmm. because of the pressure difference. Same with an eye. If you cut an eye, all the fluid will try and escape. With it goes the uvea. It gets, it gets uh, tented in that direction. So you get a teardrop pupil pointing in the direction of the scleral laceration or, or the penetrating injury. So uh, they're some of the main things. Also compare the anterior chamber depth. So a globe rupture will often have a, a more shallow anterior chamber on the affected side. Mm -hmm. Anytime you suspect all of this, do not go pressing on the eyeball because the system's no longer closed, it's an open system. So you press on it, stuff's gonna come out. Mm -hmm. That includes um, being very careful about the intraocular pressure. Mm -hmm. So there are different devices for checking intraocular pressure. The tono pens, I don't recommend because the tono pen you do actually have to push a bit yeah. Uh, if you've got what's called an eye care tonometer that's got a little pin on the end of it, a little head, they're much more forgiving. Mm. So you could probably reasonably use that if you're comfortable with using it, if you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. If in doubt, don't do it. Wait for the ophthalmologist to have a look. Sure. Yeah. Okay, coming back to Mr. Adams, uh, our patient here today, are there any sort of long-term complications that we should inform the patient about or have a think about? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean... We have gotten as far as knowing that he's got a retrobulbar hemorrhage. So mm -hmm. it's possible that he's going to have a long-term um, partial optic neuropathy, mm. depending on the time in between him falling and us doing the lateral canthotomy. Pressure of 50 in the eye isn't ridiculous. Um, it's not incompatible with maintaining good long-term vision. Mm -hmm. If the pressure had been unrecordable, let's say it was actually 120 millimetres of mercury, that's a different story. It's a much more acute injury. Sure. He may well be okay. He may have some partial visual field loss, but it's too early to say. So at this point, we're saying we're doing the lateral canthotomy and we're checking his vision afterwards. And we're saying you're not going to go blind, mm. uh, almost certainly not going to go blind. It's possible that you will have lost part of your vision. Mm -hmm but it's going to take some days, if not a couple of weeks, for us to know what your final vision is going to be. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess to round out a podcast on ocular trauma, yes. we should talk about chemical trauma as well. Yes. Um, is there a different sort of thought process that you have when you're approaching chemical trauma when it's mixed in with um, a physical trauma mm -hmm. as well? Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. But um, it just occurs to me that it would be worth, if I can go back a moment to Pesh, yes. it'd be worth talking about orbital floor injuries briefly too because of they're course. super common, mm -hmm. often with trauma incidents, often with assaults and with falls. So if there's a hard enough trauma to induce a retrobulbar hemorrhage, very often there'll be an orbital floor fracture as well. Mm -hmm. The signs or the symptoms, first of all, uh, to ask about here are double vision, particularly on up gaze. So often there'll be entrapment of orbital fat or the inferior rectus muscle mm -hmm. uh, within the orbital floor fracture. So a person tries to look up and the eye is tethered, if you can imagine, inferiorly, so they can't look up. Mm -hmm. As a result, they get diplopia on up gaze. The second thing is if you do have inferior rectus entrapment, um, true, which is rare, 
So it's true severe entrapment of inferior rectus is rare. Mm-hmm. More common, it's just fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do get muscle entrapment, then uh, uh, because of the vagal reflex, you can get a bradycardia. Uh, so that's a presenting sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is it can be quite painful and person uh, it can be quite nauseous, vomiting, mm-hmm. this sort of thing. So a good high-resolution resolution CT with fine cuts through the orbit will will give you the answer on that. Mm-hmm. Depending on muscle entrapment or not, they may need surgical repair. So that involves ophthalmology, but uh, often also involves MaxFax, sometimes involves ENT, depending on the extent of the injury. Okay. But essentially, an orbital floor fracture needs to be worked up as if they are going to go to theatre. Mm-hmm. And, and first and foremost, you need to be aware of their pulse rate mm-hmm. to see if they've got a, a bradycardia. Mm-hmm. Um, so orbital floor fractures should um, sort of be included, I guess, in, in the core content or knowledge when it comes to blunt trauma to the eye. Sure, sure. Back to chemical trauma. Back to chemical trauma. So uh, chemical trauma, probably the simplest way to approach it is uh, acidic versus alkaline. So what was the substance? So it comes back to history again. Sometimes people will know. They'll be able to tell you what it was. Um, Often it's a workplace accident or a cleaning accident. Um, And sometimes they won't know. And there are those litmus strips in Mm -hmm. EDs which you can use if you're not sure, or you can use them anyway, even if there is a clear history. Um, In either case, never waste time um, with anything uh, when you have a case of chemical chemical trauma. Uh, Don't waste time in in starting to irrigate the eye because definitive management is just washing the eye. Mm. Uh, Whether it's with normal saline, ringer's lactate, sterile water, doesn't really matter. Um, so try and determine the compound, but don't waste time in starting irrigation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we've gone through quite a bit today. Um, physical trauma, chemical trauma, retrobulbar hemorrhages, mm-hmm. orbital floor fractures, um, and penetrating versus non-penetrating injuries. Mm. So of all of this, is there any um, key sort of learning points for third and fourth year students um, that you want to outline? Yes, um, I think I think the first uh, thing is to recognise that a high velocity injury, whatever the mechanism is, can kill someone. Mm-hmm. So always have that as your top line priority. Secondly, it can lead to loss of not just loss of sight but loss of the eyeball. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be considered a, as an urgent presentation and it needs to be dealt with promptly that's the first thing Uh, and then as far as a framework I I would just go back to what I set up the top which is make sure you get a good history um, try and ascertain whether it's penetrating or not penetrating and whether it's likely to be surgical or not surgical Mm -hmm. and involve ophthalmology early that's the general approach that I that I would um, encourage Mm -hmm. Um, just going back to chemical trauma for a moment Mm -hmm. I might just talk you through in a little bit more detail the management of chemical trauma because again as an intern or a resident it's likely that you'll come across this so Mm -hmm. chemical trauma local anesthetic drops onto the eye Mm -hmm. then you need a more what's called a Morgan lens 
which is a plastic contact lens that you place on top of the eye. That's mm-hmm. hooked up to a bag of, of whatever fluid mm-hmm. and you want to be putting through several litres of fluid, so at least two litres before you check the eye or check the pH again. Mm-hmm. And again, this is in consultation with an ophthalmologist. Sure. Yeah. One final thing to say, Depeche, is mm-hmm. that the, the right uh, protective goggles mm-hmm. could massively reduce a lot of the ocular trauma that we see out there in society. So the, the one thing to always talk to patients about when they come in, mm-hmm. particularly often it's a trade or, or work-related injury, is uh, to strongly encourage good, high-quality protective goggles, which their employer should really be providing. Sure. Yeah. And if they were used routinely, we'd see nowhere near as much ocular trauma as, as we do see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prevention is always better than cure. Absolutely. That's, yeah. a, that's a public health message, really, mm-hmm. that, that all of us should be pushing. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Azavi. Uh, distilling ocular trauma uh, is quite difficult, and I think you've made it pretty digestible for all of us. Right. Before we conclude, I would like to just point our listeners to the website Eyeballs Made Easy, um, where you've got some great lectures that run through some of the conditions that we've um, gone through today. Um, and maybe YouTubing with lateral canthotomy would be yeah yeah, we'll put that on the list for for videos (laughs) that we need lovely well thank you so much for your time dr very welcome depesh see you at the next one thank you for listening to our podcast you can find this episode as well as all our other episodes and their transcripts on our website www.medtalkpod.com You can also like us on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash medtalkpod to stay updated about all the new episodes and any new learning resources. You can also send us episode ideas and feedback on our website or our email, medtalkpod at outlook.com.